What's up, Greg? Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice the Numbers, your movies and entertainment podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corwin Heller. And Corwin is trooping through this episode. I mean, really, what a stand-up guy. Might sound funky because uh, I don't know if anyone follows the news. There was a large hurricane that ripped through the East Coast. And the Heller household is currently without power. So Corwin doing this from his phone with through sheer force of strength to uh, help us maintain a schedule. Round of applause to you, buddy. Yeah, you know, in my car right now at the end of a cul-de-sac that I do not live on. Um, <laughs> operating on limited battery, wearing a gaming headset to record this. So we're doing a... Doing what we can to make it through this episode. If at yeah, some man. point I just cut out like I died, I, you know, either had my phone die or I, you know, tree power lines fell on me and I'm actually dead. So, yeah, you'll find out in a couple weeks. Yeah, let's pray for the former. Uh, if anything should happen. All right, then let's, or let's to, to help save you from having to sit in this cul-de-sac for too long and to help preserve your phone battery. Let's uh, get rolling right on into this. Let's start with uh, Big Fan. Let's start with Big Fan. All right. I started, I watched this last night. Um, I actually watched it at a friend's house with their mom, and the mom came in right as they got to the strip club. So that was a a really great movie-watching experience for me. Uh, have to admit, but could have uh, been worse. Yeah, could have been the masturbation Nick. scene. <laughs> oh, if you think they didn't also get to watch that, you are sorely mistaken, my friend. Oh, glad to hear it. Uh, so Big Fan is a 2009 film written and directed by Robert Siegel, starring Patton Oswalt, Kevin Corrigan, and Michael Rapaport about a hardcore New York Giants fan as he struggles to deal with the consequences when he is beaten up by his favorite player. Um, it has no awards, nominations, nor wins of note. Um, it had an estimated budget. Oh, estimated budget is not here, uh, but it has a cumulative worldwide gross of about $234,000, which feels <laughs> like a lot for this movie. I looked it up, and I saw that the estimated budget was $5 million. I have really? no idea if that's true. But, oh, man, I hope it wasn't. (laughs) I really hope it wasn't. The only place I could see that money is getting the rights to use NFL properties, like showing Giants Stadium, showing Giants logos and merch, and showing Eagles merch. That and maybe the strip club scene. But, like, that's it. Everything else is just backdrop. Yeah. Getting, uh, you know... Big, uh, big superstar A-lister Michael Rappaport to show up for like thirty seconds, speak a few lines. Yeah, that's that really probably cost about a pretty it. penny. Man, casting him as a major asshole was a phenomenal decision. It's the only character he does well every time. Uh, Corwin, I feel what like it's the only character movie? he does. Oh uh, well, it's the only one he can do. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I got to be brief with this. You know, I felt like this was a a huge missed opportunity. Um, The premise, I actually really, really liked. You know, the idea of, you know, spreading this message or being in the situation where uh, a diehard fandom, uh, you know, comes before the ability to almost think critically or, you know, put the putting an athlete or a uniform, a team in front of your best interests, in front of, you know, what is necessary, necessarily justice. Um, you know, I'm a Penn State fan. I, I know exactly what it's like to have rabid, diehard fans just be completely without reason when it comes to uh, major, uh, how should I put this, um, scandals? Uh, you could call this a scandal. Um, so I really do like on a personal level, level, like I'm able to appreciate the message they were trying to convey. I just think it completely fell flat with execution. Um, you know, just watching the movie, like it, it wasn't, 
it wasn't an enjoyable film to watch, you know, through through and through. You know, they had some really tremendous scenes that, you know, we can talk about. They had, you know, some really great characters. Um, but man, it's just it felt like it was just a handful of good scenes back and forth that just didn't necessarily have the right direction to to make a huge difference. Okay. Uh <laughs> I I like this movie. I have I have a weird I have weird feelings about the ending. Um we'll, we'll get to it. Um but in general, I I really like the idea of this film and I I think it's executed fairly well. Um I don't think it's it's a, it's groundbreaking by any means, but for a sports fan, um I definitely definitely sympathize greatly with the movie. Um, oh, yeah. You know, you got this guy whose life sucks. You know, his job sucks. His house situation sucks. Lives with his mother. His friendships kind of suck. Yeah, Kevin Corgan seems like a good friend to him, but like that's it's all he's got, and they're both kind of in the same boat. Um, his brother sucks, and the fact that his brother's <laughs> life is going better than his sucks. Like everything sucks, but. He's got the Giants, and he pours so yeah. much energy and devotion and emotion into it. I mean, like, he's sitting there, and he's, he's writing out all the things he wants to say on these sports call-in shows that he does. And it, it's, it's so, like, you love to see that level of devotion. And it's also, and it's encouraging, because, like, here's a guy who's clearly like, not super understanding of social cues, because... Why else would you be writing these things down? Or why else would you have the entire strip club scene that where he gets beat up by his favorite football player that is the catalyst of this film? Um, but it's also like kind of a little sad. Like he's scripting out what he's going to say on a radio talk show as if it matters and it doesn't. But that's the thing about sports. It's your escape for a lot of people. You know, you and I, Corwin, follow it because we grew up with it. It means a lot to us. And we're enraptured in the storylines and the stats. And and I'd like to think both of us have separation from it uh, to a degree. But here's a guy who didn't, who doesn't, who, who chose not to lit- litigate on uh, a multi-million dollar lawsuit that could have changed his life in place of mm-hmm. letting this guy that fucked him up, right or wrong, gray area. Um, because he he's an impact player for his favorite football team. It's I don't know. I I find this to be just such an interesting topic. I I am. It's it's also tough because the the bar for indie films is a little bit different. Um, because they're just they're usually not highest quality cinema um but i i don't know i i don't know if it hit close to home in some odd way or what but i i enjoyed this i mean you know me like i'm always one to to really look at and dissect like the technical aspect of it like the cinematography most of all and this it was incredibly washed out you know the color palette the lighting like the way they shot it it was it was weird and uncomfortably shot to the point where it's like this, like I know this is an indie film through and through, but this is like, this is like and some this college is from, level. Like, oh yeah. Film this, no, this is from lighting. 2009 when like indie films were, fir- were first really entering like the mainstream and like mm-hmm. every son of a bitch with Premiere Pro just slapped a filter on it and <laughs> called it a day. I swear to you, every <laughs> single indie film that came out around when this film did all had the same cinematographer. They all look exactly mm-hmm. like this. It's fucking weird. Mm. Yeah. And uh, just like the, the shot selection, you know, everything. I get that this could be an artistic choice. You know, they want to make the viewer feel uncomfortable. But it was super tight, super jarring at times, just like the how close the camera was to the characters. And again, I, if it's an artistic choice, I get that. I can understand why, you know, this guy doesn't live a comfortable life. You shouldn't feel comfortable watching him live his. 
but at the same time it it does detract from my experience watching this you know um it's similar in the way that you know uncut gems is shot where it's like visually keeping you on edge but without the tension without the the you know the quality of the cinematography to make up for it and make it a pleasant viewing experience um so that was that was something i noticed quickly and very much was a, a detractor for this all around um yeah all right so let's go let's get into to the plot a little bit so basically um okay. uh, uh pat and oswald big giants fan um spots uh, one of his favorite players just like on staten island just there for like no reason follows him to stapleton which is not a good part of Staten Island. <laughs> um, it's uh, I'm pretty sure it's from so it, it's an area where some of the members of the Wu Tang Clan are from. It's not a good place, uh, and they thought that's weird. And then followed him to a strip club in Manhattan, um, where he like brought up the fact that he saw him in Stapleton, and it's just like, and the guy was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And then proceeds to beat the shit out of him, um, which you know. Believe it or, or or not, whether it would happen, I don't think that would happen because I think NFL players are smart enough to be like, "Hey, uh, uh, posse, get this guy the fuck away from me." Um, but whatever. And then after he gets beat up, he, you know, he goes to the hospital and, and the police come and he pretends not to be a reliable source of information to protect this player who's a big impact player for the Giants. Corwin, would you? protect you not just your favorite player your favorite player who's also a huge impact player for the Steelers or ah, Penn State you're a bigger Penn State fan um in the midst of a playoff push you know it's tough because you definitely have to think like shit would I do this while you're watching the movie um and man it's tough like this would be like uh TJ Watt beating the shit out of me in the club after I stalked him all night and watched him buy drugs and it's like, man, if the Steelers lose TJ Watt, that's kind of, you know, our defense is kind of shit in the bed this year. Like that, that's kind of just the way it is. Like he's a, a keystone player for the team. But if I get the ever-loving shit beaten out of me to the point where I'm unconscious for three days in the hospital, yeah, he's paying me a lot of money. You know, like at the end of the day, like, Obviously, he's in a situation where the Jets are more important to him and his, or the Giants, excuse me, are more important to him and his life than like the Steelers or Penn State football is to mine. Um, but oof, it, it's really hard to even put yourself in him, his shoes and not choose to have a comfortable, set life for the rest of your life rather than, you know, Maybe they make the playoffs, you know, maybe they win a Super Bowl, maybe maybe this, maybe that, maybe whatever. You know, there's too many uncertainties that go along with just choosing not to press charges against a player. You know, it's it's tough. And besides, you know, maybe he has a giant contract maybe you know him getting put on the commissioner's exempt list and being sent to prison maybe that clears up some cap space allows them to sign some free agents you never know you know there's so much going on i don't think i could ever pass up you know 70 yeah it's it's a thing it's like i don't think any i don't think 99 percent of sports fans would say, yeah, I'd protect my favorite player through this. I think most of us would be like, I like, I love Luis Severino of the Yankees, even though he hasn't pitched in like two years. Um, all right, I'll pick a different guy. Uh, I, I love Aaron Hicks on the Yankees or Aaron judge on the Yankees. If they beat the shit out of me, yo, that lawsuit would be colossal and immediate. Like it, uh, you have to separate, my team winning from reality. I think this film does a relatively good job of showing you that this man is incapable of doing that um, for both like, like for like personal, emotional and psychological reasons. He is just unhealthily attached to this sport and team. Uh, 
but I God no, fuck that. Absolutely not. <laughs> like, oh no. No. If Chad Pennington came to my house and like punched me in the face, I would sue Chad Pennington for a billion dollars. <laughs> Listen, it, you could have you could like give me the option of hey, your team will definitively win a Super Bowl this season. No, you know, if and or buts, they take home the Lombardi trophy, they take home the crystal ball trophy, win the national championship. Or we give you seventy-seven million dollars in cash. Yeah, that's not that's not a choice. There's always you know? next year. Sports, <laughs> sports are great and as an as an escape. You know what's even better than an escape? Being able to do whatever the fuck you want because you have $77 million. To the average American, $77 million is some serious fuck you money. It might not be <laughs> a lot if you're like Jeff Bezos, but hey, $77 million to the average person, that's fuck you money. You can buy a football league. You can buy the XFL for $15 million and still have $62 million left over. This is a true fact. Just ask Dwayne the you Rock Johnson. Own it. <laughs> uh, the, the, I think the most wasted scene appears eventually later on in the film, where uh, you know Patton Oswalt shows no real deterrent from uh, or, or inclination to change his his opinion that he's not going to rat out. Um, I forgot what this made up player's name is QB was his initials. Quintel. Quintel. I don't. I don't even remember, man. Burr, it's yeah. Uh, Bing, Bingham, Bring. I don't know. Uh, but he calls Chandler Bing. That's it. Chandler Bong. Uh, he calls the detective on the case down to a cafe or a bagel shop, whatever it was, just to tell him, yeah, I still don't know anything. And the cop was like, why did you call me down here? This could have been a fucking phone call. And as a viewer of the scene, the only thing I could think of was like, yeah, this fucking stupid. Why did I watch you do this? No new information was presented here. <laughs> I fully took, like, you know, throughout the film, like, he seems torn whether or not he wants to to file this this conflict that he has. I totally, you know, expected him to, like, like toss and turn in the way he did, but it was like, wow, the way you presented that, you know, like, you could have been like, I thought I could have, but, like, at the end of the day, like, I just can't trust my memory, whatever. He was just like, yeah, fuck it. You're on your own, pal. Anyway. <laughs> Alright, we'll just keep going. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the, the writer of the film likes the idea of twists, but didn't really put enough thought into how to pull off the twists um because like i think that scene you know like he's been stressing the decision tossing and turning on it and so you go into it thinking oh he called the cop down because he's finally gonna come to his senses and rat on the guy or at least you know give information to the cops and then it's like no he doesn't he just wastes the cop's time for no good reason and then this basically is going to bring us to the end of the film where he, the cop is, or the, the um, Patton Oswalt. And this is mm-hmm. why I, I, I'm conflicted because I think it's like a cool no. ending in the way that it, like, in what ends up happening. I think it's, I think it's a, a fun ending. I'll put it that way. But I don't think it makes any sense with the script because the film basically just abandons <laughs> the whole plot line that is you got beat up by this guy. And now the cops want you to tell on him and you're not going to. And instead goes towards, don't you just hate Philadelphia Phil? You should go shoot him with a paintball gun. And then and then he drives down to Philadelphia, somehow finds the bar that Philadelphia Phil frequents, and befriends him and then shoots him with blue and red paintball pellets in a bathroom, Giants colors. Uh, and then runs away and gets arrested at the end of the movie. Um, and while I enjoyed that, like I enjoyed watching the sequence. Wow, did it really just come out of fucking nowhere? Yeah. Oh man, that just did not make any actual sense to what the rest of the movie was about. And it was just like, wow, like you know, the whole lead up to that, every aspect of it makes you think, oh, you know. They show you the gun. They show you go into the bar. Show him go into the bar. 
everything involved. It's like, okay, this is what he's going to do. And then it's like, oh, paintball gun, this, that. And it's just like, really, like the whole lead up, like it makes so much sense. Like this guy is clearly in a very precarious mental state. You know, throughout the whole movie, you know, he has breakdown after breakdown. It would make so much sense for like this to be like the emotional jerk to like seal the theme and the message of the movie. And then it happens the way it happens with the paintball and running from the cops and getting arrested. And it's just like, man, I just don't feel bad for him anymore. I like this guy is just plain old fucking stupid. Like, well, and what's weird about it is like, it's like the writer didn't want to go for the full dark ending because if he had straight up killed him, you'd go, oh yeah, like this guy was just dealing with so much. He had a psychotic break, mm-hmm. but he had to go out the He had to go find a paintball gun that looked convincingly like a handgun. He had to find blue and red paint pellets. And again, I enjoyed watching it because it's like an, a kooky thing to happen and I think it was well shot but it's also like it's just so out of place and don't get me wrong obviously Philadelphia Phil was being a dick that is certainly understandable but in the scope of the film and what it's looking at it doesn't it doesn't relate to any anything else mm-hmm. and that just uh, goes back anyway. to the point of like man this could have been really great this had a really great premise really great bones and it just it just didn't execute for me. Yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, let's leave it there then. Uh, give me a, a rating and a review. Uh, I do want to say I, I am sounding a lot like I didn't like it. It had some tremendous lines and you know little details that like were written in, and it's like wow, that is hilarious. You know, like a seven-year-old's birthday party where the cake is fucking. 50 cent and it's like that that was hilarious so staten island um you know the mom essentially oh, this movie is aggressively staten island oh yeah um <laughs> driving through like the ghetto and it's like wow maybe they're here to see the wu-tang lost it uh you know 10 45 <laughs> the clock oh it's a little late to be first heading out just like it, they do a really good job of like building the characters in this movie through these like very subtle, simple lines of dialogue. And that's what I think this does really well. It's just, you know, the rest of it. Oh, also, uh, we gave yeah. up 41 points to the Chiefs. And listening to that in 2020, it's like, holy shit, they only gave up 41 points to the Chiefs? That's awesome. Very different. But yeah, that's... Uh... I'd also like to offer up... The- I'd also like to offer up the line, uh, can I borrow your internet? <laughs> uh, and, and then just then Googling. Followed by a hilarious Google search. <laughs> yeah, Googled the word lawsuit. Uh, uh, try uh, stop lawsuit. <laughs> Maybe that the lawyers <laughs> just don't want you to know how to do it. It's like... <laughs> yeah, oh, true. But yeah, I mean, I feel like, again, like... Uh, there's not a lot to dig deep into here. Really great message, some good writing, um, some good character building throughout. Um, great premise. Just, I wish this was a a more of a major motion picture. You know, like if an A twenty four did this, or yeah. you know, one of the, a larger studio, this could have been something really really cool. But um, I got to give it a two. Uh, just looking at you know other ratings, how I like ended up feeling by the end of watching it, I just I can't give it more than a two. Hey, I don't I don't think you're off base in the slightest. I'm only going to give it a two and a half just because like there's there's obvious and clear problems with this film. However, I still liked watching it, <laughs> um, and to me like. That that warrants it being a middle of the road film. Like you're not gonna. I don't think you're gonna. Re- anyone's gonna regret watching this. It's not long. Mm-hmm. It's not like bad. Um, it's got an interesting plot. Patton Oswalt's super good in it. Um, but it's like there's a lot of problems with it. There's there's holes. There's there's issues. So yeah, I think this is this is a very 
you know, middle of the road is what it is film. So, all right. You read? Shall we move on to La Haine? I am very much ready to discuss La Haine. All right. Uh, La Haine is a, I always say it too, too Jewish, um, is a 1995 French film um, written and directed by Matthew K- uh, Kasovitz. I want to say Kasovitz. Uh, starring Vincent Castle, um, Hubert Koundé, and Saeed Tagmawi. Um, it has no major award nominations nor wins. Um, it has, uh, do we have an estimated budget? Uh, yes, 2.6 million euros, and it has a cumulative worldwide gross of $281,000. So, um, what? I don't know what the conversion rate was at the time because euros have gone through quite the, the shift over the last 30 years, 25 years. So, it's a kind of an awkward transition, but makes sense. Uh, French films, in general, international films don't do as well at box offices. American films do, is what it is. Um, It is about, it's 24 hours in the lives of three young men in the French suburbs. I would not call them in the suburbs. (laughs) Uh, The day after a violent riot. They are definitely in the projects. Absolutely. Uh, Anyway, Corwin. of this film is the fact that they do not live. Yeah, that's like... <laughs> yeah, it's like the main point of the film is the fact that they very much so live in the projects where the riots are taking place. <laughs> anyway, Corwin, what did you think of this film? Oh man, immediately jumping into it, uh, I was a little caught off guard with you know. Obviously, I knew this was a French film, had subtitles, and it was going to be in black and white. Um, but the speed in which the dialogue went, it was very hard to really dig in and both follow it, you know, visually and, you know, narratively, uh, just because the dialogue is moving so fast. Maybe it's just, you know, I wasn't completely focused on it. It didn't have me, you know, locked in. I was just having a real tough time, you know, following along with everything. Had to go back a couple times. And I was really nervous about, like, damn, like, this is this is kind of it. Like, I'm not going to be able to enjoy this movie. Like, this is tough. Like this is this is not looking great. But the second it just gets into the the nitty gritty, like the the girth of this movie, it just is so powerful. It's so strong. The connection that that each one of these guys have, you know, the the friendship between the three of them, um, you know, the the connection that this film has to what's going on today. Um, very very much relatable to you know the world that we're living in now um and god it felt like uh my enjoyment and connection to this movie just grew exponentially the longer i watched it i ended up loving this film um and just everything was just so well done so you know every little detail was you know it added something to the story and I just, I love this film. Yeah, I think this is so beautifully done. Um, I, everything felt natural. And what I love about some, about films that feel natural is that they are done so intentionally. I understand some filmmakers like to go with like the non-actor route or more improvisation to feel natural. Uh, I don't think this really had any. This felt very scripted, which is great. Um, because the more detail you can add into it, um, uh, in, in the workings of it, I think the, the more natural it will feel coming out because you have better idea and concept for what you're looking for when the actors actually go into their roles. I think this was incredibly well done. Um, I think the storyline was minimal in what it was getting at, but did but ex- but came at it from so many different angles and repeated so many ideas, but in different ways that it really kept you intrigued and captivated the entire way through it. Even though, again, the main scope of the film really was pretty narrow, mm-hmm. um, which again I just love so much. So, if I could give a brief summary of kind of what happens here is uh, there's there's riots going on. I'm not sure they ever really said why. 
I'm not sure. It, I don't think it matters. Uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and say it doesn't matter. Uh, but did they ever say why there were riots or just that there were? Uh, I actually didn't. I, I meant to look into it. I wanted to look into it while I was watching. I ended up being, you know, I'll hold off until I'm done watching. Don't want to interrupt. But I, I do not know. All right. Yeah, again, I don't think it matters. I was just wondering if, if I had uh, if I had missed it. Um, and again, because this is Europe, it's a little bit it, a little bit. It's very different watching it as an American because the, uh, the idea that there's like a singular loose gun and that that's a big deal is kind of preposterous to an American audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's like like I have in my notes like the fact that there's like been several news stories about a single missing police firearm as an American is like startling. Like no one that wouldn't crack the fucking seventh to 12th pages of the news here. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal, which uh, ain't a good thing, but is the reality. Oh yeah. Um, If I saw that on the news, I'd be like only one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Same. Uh, And and, (laughs) anyway, uh, it turns out one of the main characters had found the gun and is claiming that he is looking to or would hypothetically shoot a police officer should their friend that was put into a coma uh, as a result of police brutality during the protesting riots, whatever they were, um, die in the hospital. And then it kind of navigates these three guys going about what seems like a relatively normal day for them, but constantly circling back to these ideas of, I guess, identity, uh, violence that is justified versus unjustified, um, what it means to be uh, like a person. Um, yeah, I guess I guess that those are kind of like the main things I'm I'm, I'm trying to, to grapple at. What did you think? Uh, I you know just uh, the whole aspect of you know the big thing that jumped out for me was you know the the inter the inter conflict between these three guys about you know how each of them was dealing with not only the the stress of you know living in this aspect of society this part of society where you know police are cracking down in force pulling people and detaining them off the street you know seemingly at random with no probable cause you know by guys not even in uniform like obviously that connects to what's going on right now but you know having to live in that part of you know you know part of paris part of this time in history is critical on top of that you know one of your closest friends being in the hospital because of that you know ensuing violence you know there's a lot of conflict going on between the three of them and the society you know man versus society and all that and watching how each of them handle that you know some obviously better than others was you know i thought that was incredibly interesting to both follow and understand more and more as the film went through um and that's really what i focused on uh throughout uh i i think my main focus going through this was how um vince and uh hubert i know it's like mm-hmm. hubert but i feel pretentious and awkward saying that every Hubie. time so i'm just gonna keep going with hubert Hubie. uh hooby hooby dooby doo um how how those two manifested their emotions throughout the film because they had two very different reactions um over the course of their conversations and and to the events that they they met in general vince very loud Mm -hmm. very angry um very aggressive and ultimately leading to very little action whereas hubie uh constantly far more level-headed a lot more somber a lot more practical and would often kind of times come to more of a resolution or at least come to more, come to more action, mm-hmm. which, uh, we certainly see at the end. Yeah. Um, wow. That ending. 
And I think that's what this, yeah. And I, I, I think that's most of what this film is really trying to show is just these different types of reactions to what are very common problems in in all, all types of societies. These one of my notes is just how contemporary these conversations and news stories feel twenty five years later. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like one of the main problems that that this part of Paris is having is that they're beating up minor. The police are beating up minorities in in the streets. Hmm. Seems kind of familiar. Uh, you know, like we're having this problem right fucking now. Um, and there's an early, very early reference Vince in the mirror doing a a taxi driver Mm -hmm. impression, but it's so relevant to what's happening in the film because the, the whole premise of taxi driver, despite, you know, leaving aside the, loose mental state of the Robert De Niro character mm-hmm. is that he thinks he's going to clean up the streets via vigilante justice. Basically he thinks he's going to wash out the dredges of society, but he's not looking at it from the, the pimps and, and the hookers. He's looking at it from the police. He thinks that, that they're the problem and he's going to Robert De Niro taxi driver them out of existence. And then ultimately he really, he doesn't do anything because the anger is just a facade. It's just maybe not a facade. It's not fake. It's just doing the actual doing is what's hard. And all the anger in the world isn't necessarily going to get you there. Mm-hmm. Oh God, those two characters, you know, as much as it's the three of them, you know, Saeed always seems to take the, he's the, he's the middleman and everything, you know, Hubert and, you know, Vins are clearly the, the two polar opposite, not polar opposite, but the two ends of the spectrum that it's constantly, you know, going back and forth between and just the connection between those two and just the, God, the way they both handle situations is just constantly this like pulling force that I love to see, you know, Vin's basically, you know, how he handles himself, his emotions, you know, the way he reacts to the situations he's in. Like, I can't help but physically share his anger towards, you know, the society he's living in. You know, again, unmarked police roaming and pulling people off the streets, beating them to the point of hospitalization. And, you know, Hubert is, you know, he knows he's a small fish in a big sea. And at the end of the day, he knows that he's the only person who is looking out and can take care of himself personally. Um, and then Vince knows that the only way you can handle yourself as, as a group, as a society is like standing up to this oppression uh, and just having both of these viewpoints essentially culminating in that, you know, that final scene, that final shot that, you know, we'll get to, it's just, God, I fucking, I loved it. You know, it was amazing to watch. Now there, there's a lot to digest with this. I mean, really there, there's, there's so much. It's another one of those films. that's it's just rife with things we could talk about that we're obviously going to have to abbreviate a lot of one for interest uh, of, of how long these podcasts usually are. And for another, because, Corwin is in a very uncomfortable recording situation and we're not trying to make it uh, more uncomfortable by chewing through his phone battery. But uh, So let, let's pick out a few. I want to talk briefly about the uh, the Gowalski story yes. um, from the old man in the bathroom. Yes. Um, and it was it, basically this old guy came out from a stall while they were arguing about uh, what were they arguing about at the time? Principles. Um, Something like that. The uh, the principle of the money of of Saeed uh, getting the money. No, they were. It was like. Or were, or were they talking about killing of the I police? Think it was that point they were talking about like killing police? I don't know specifically. I, I it's a thing that the, a lot of the conversations kind of kept coming back into the fray. So it was a little bit. It's a little bit tough looking back to kind of remember what, when, and where these conversations were. Um, regardless, they, they were making one of the, one of their points and this old guy comes out of the bathroom and he talks about, tells the story about when, um, him and, and the people he, 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 uh, lived with all got rounded up by 
uh, the Nazis and got put on the trains and the train stopped. And this one really shy dude, Kowalski, that everyone uh, it was just so afraid to like shower with the guys and, and go to the bathroom mm-hmm. with the guys, even though that they had no choice but to do it in a group, got out, went behind uh, the train cart to take a shit. But the train started pulling out while he was still out there. And he, he kept trying to run while holding his pants up. And every time he reached out to take a hand, his pants fell down and he couldn't run anymore. And he had to keep picking his pants up. And it's a funny story. And then at the end of it, Vince asked, like, what happened to him? And this old man was like, he never made it on the train. And then it was the dead of winter and he froze to death. Yeah. And that was how it ended. And what did you make of that story? So what was the point <laughs> you think the old guy was trying to make? So ha- at the time when he tells the story, like that point of the film, you know, watching it for the first time, it was immediately like, ah, I have no idea. I know I have no idea. I have a feeling by the end of this, it, there'll be some clarity, um, some exposition or something that will enlighten me on the point of that. Um, and by the end, you know, you see them miss and run after a train at dead of night and or the dead of winter middle of the night um and vince is there to to meet them you know he he leaves before them he gets away from the police you know he has every right you know he makes it back to where they're from but he comes back to be with them to support them and it's like okay i get it like you don't abandon your friends you know when they need that help when they need that support, you know, when the alternative to helping them is them being on their own and forced to face the reality of the world. And so I took it as, okay, this is how you get across that Vince isn't going to leave his friends behind that, you know, as, as much as he has this strong opinion and principles that he claims to have, that he, he claims to be able to, uh, you know, support over anything else. It's still those three guys together that, you know, comes before anything else. And he's not going to let them face that reality alone. So that's what I got it from it. I like that. I, I too had to, had to sit with it for a little while because again, it, the movie has, a, as, as you said, this movie has a lot of dialogue and uh, it, 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 it kept moving expeditiously after this. Um, I I would think he's mostly addressing Vince here with his story. And again, which would make sense given the ending, which I guess I'll have to spoil a little bit to make my point. Um, although, again, this movie is 25 years old. If I'm spoiling this ending for you, and we told you about a week in advance, if I'm spoiling this ending for you, you got don't blame yourself. Um, the, the, this guy who's got rounded up died because he couldn't let go of his feeling of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. You know, he even given the, the circumstances, he just couldn't let it go. And like, even at the end, he couldn't literally let go of his pants just to just to be able to make it onto the train, just to keep going forward and eventually live possibly as as this old man did. And that's Vince with his anger. He he couldn't let it go. Not that he needed to let it go, but that it was going to destroy him if he didn't find a productive way of moving forward. And eventually it did. He didn't let his, his anger towards the police over what they did to Abdel. And again, I'm not saying he had to forget about it entirely, but he was letting it control him and guide his actions the way that this guy, this, uh, this Kowalski, or whatever his name was, did. And and at the end of the movie, it killed Vince, just like it killed Gowalski. Um, and in in the story, Gowalski is going to the gulag. Like he's not going to a good place, you know. He's not going to somewhere nice. They're not escaping. They're going to the gulags. Mm-hmm. Like it's a bad time. And that's what I'm saying. Like it's, like it's not like Vince had to be all cheery and good with the cops but letting go moving forward to continue your fight in a different space as long as it is forward moving i think has a lot of value and i think that's what this old guy was trying to get at with it is you have to keep fighting you can't get stuck 
and Vince and Gowalski both got stuck because they couldn't, they couldn't, I feel like I said let go 10,000 times, but they couldn't let go. I like that. I like that uh, synopsis. Um, you know, I feel like it's easily one of those wackadoo stories that with very little context that it's given is something that could easily, easily be perceived, you know, a hundred different ways. Um, but I like that. Oh, very much so. Well, thanks, buddy. Um, I'm trying to pick out a few more main points. Oh, there was one I wanted to make that was um, right around there when they were going to go visit um, Asterix, which is like, so they're, they're in a nicer part of Paris. They're in a nicer part of town. And they had this one line, the police are nice around here. And God damn it, if that doesn't show you class divide via policing, I mean, my God, like the fact that they come from a shittier part of town and are therefore significantly uh, more harshly scrutinized by the police than they would be. And granted, they were stopped by the cops because they caused because they because Vince caused a ruckus um, is, is, is separate. But the fact that like they they had the ability to recognize pretty immediately that the police in the wealthier part of town were kinder and more friendly than the police in their town is a pretty damning comment. I think it was Saeed who even said that the police called him sir. Like, mm-hmm. that, there's, there you go. Class divide, implicit bias, right fucking there, man. It's, you know, it's been 35 years since this came out. 25 years. Uh, yes, 25 is good. Um, can you say anything has changed? <laughs> not here. No, absolutely not here. And it's it's one of those things where maybe if we watched this two, three years ago before, you know, you and I are both white guys who grew up in middle class New Jersey, you know, in a fairly affluent area compared to large, you know, swaths of the country. I don't think this would have had the same resonating effect if we watched it in 2016, 2017, as us watching it in 2020. Um, you know, we're both progressive people with progressive ideas, and, you know, it hasn't really been different those past couple of years, but seeing just the disparity between the lives we live and the way other people in this country live and just how widespread this kind of oppression is it hits hard right now it hits incredibly hard especially seeing this for the first time um yeah and uh, it's it's a much more minor point and and we don't have to really talk much about it at all but the, also the fact that these three guys they're all minority groups mm-hmm. we have we have a black man we have a we have a muslim person we have a jewish person and they all seem like relatively normal guys yeah. and then they go visit asterix who's living in a very affluent town and is a fucking whack job Snoopy. uh but he's 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 a regular regular fucking white dude that's how i imagine every person that does coke regularly lives that's just that's that lifestyle you know yeah, who's, who again picks another uh, Robert uh, uh, De Niro film to emulate there with the uh, with the whole deer hunter thing? <laughs> um, but again, I I think it's it's a it's a minor sticking point. But the the idea of of racism, bigotry, and antisemitism also um, on display in the film was a a nice subtle touch to to go along with the the class divide moment that mm-hmm. we had there. Um, our I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to get to before the ending. Is there anything else that you th- can think of that sticks out to you before we get into the ending? Uh, a couple things, you know, um, the dolly zoom Let's hear on them. there. Uh, I think it was in front of the Eiffel Tower, but they're at the train station. I always love seeing that, you know, those kind of shots are relatively rare. Um, there's actually a couple of unique shots in this that I really like. The dolly zoom, uh, there was a split diopter shot, not like a, a true one where it's, you know, a single frame being shot with two different focal points um but it was when vins and his friends were leaving the fight and they go and shoot the bouncer 
and Vince is, you know, staring at what it's really like to come back, stand up, and essentially use that kind of violence to to shoot someone that you feel was oppressing you, regardless of you know the extent to which they were doing. So obviously, the police and the scenario are it's significantly more heavy handed than a bouncer not letting guys into a club. But at the same time, you know, he's still facing that, that reality, um, you know, directly before it ends up getting to that climactic point of him and another police officer. Um, I just, I really like those unique shots that you don't see every day. Um, you know, the one of them leaving Snoopy's apartment, coming down that spiral staircase, just a vertical shot looking right up at them as they're kind of returning to the lower levels of society coming down that staircase. Nothing special about it, just a, a really cool perspective, you know, symbolic shot. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, them talking about... Oh, the, 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 the cinematography, like the, these shots are all... Oh. Exceedingly impactful. Love them. They're be- beautifully fucking mm-hmm. done, and add so much. Especially since this is a black and white film, you get. Uh, I think you just get so much more out of these creative shots um, than you would with color, um, just because it's it, you have so much less to focus on. I think it was such mm-hmm. a great idea. It's so well. Done. I disagree. I do not enjoy films that choose to be in black and white versus color. Like obviously, films, you know the Charlie Chaplin movie we just watched, uh, you know, older films where it was black and white because that's what you had. Um, you know, films like Raging Bull, Lahane, you know, I I would rather see the color. I'd rather feel like this is a current reality rather than being forced to watch something in black and white where it feels like it is purposefully aging itself when there shouldn't be that need in this, you know, this scenario. I understand that it's not something I would hold against the film. That's just my personal preference. I know you okay. disagree. I'm just saying. I that's throwing that. I do. <laughs> anyway, any any other any other scenes or shots you want to talk about before we get into? The ending. Uh, them discussing uh, the principle, like the principle of wanting to get that hundred dollars back from Snoopy. You know, that's the whole reason they were they went into the the upper echelons of society or upper echelons of Paris. You know, into the city. You know, that's what it was all about, and that's what this whole film is about. It's about the principles of these three guys. You know, what they value, their you know moral standing, all of that. I thought that was a really cool, you know, choice of dialogue uh, and just a little snippet that, you know, meant a lot towards the overall narrative of it. Um, and then just a, I, something I really liked was them sitting on the roof at the end of the night singing OPP by Naughty by Nature, except with the French subtitles, it was OCB. And I was like, ah, oh, that's that means nothing. But I love that, especially when it's a another split diopter shot, a real one of, you know, them rolling a J with the Eiffel Tower far in the background, but also perfectly in focus. I just loved it so much. I'm loving this. You got any more? Uh, Nope, that's it. All right, so then shall we get into the end? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so... At the end of the so, as we said, one of the main points of this film is that it there's a gun missing from a police officer. Vince has it. He's been threatening to use it on cops all day long, greatly exaggerating his willingness to use it on on the police, but nonetheless making those claims. There's a very aggressive scene um, involving skinheads where um, Hubert starts kind of like edging him on egging him on to, to actually do it because he knows that Vince won't and he's trying to show Vince that he's that he's not going to and that he should come to his senses and stop so much with the instigation. Um, 
And so finally, at the end of the film, Vince gives up the gun to Hubert. He realizes he's not going to be doing anything, and 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 he he's starting to really come around to or starting to to, to get a little bit more level headed about things. Walking away with Saeed, and they get stuck up by a cop. And this cop, the cops have been shown to be very aggressive in the film, and he points a gun at Vince's head and was was kind of I think trying to shake him down a little bit, trying to show him. You know, show him, show him how big his dick is by uh, the look. I got a gun, stupid fucking idiot, um, and accidentally shoots Vince in the head and kills him. And at that point, Hubert like storms over, looks, you know, holds Vince for a moment. The cops in shock, and then Vince points his gun at the cop's head. The cop points his gun at sorry, Hubert points his cop at at. at points his gun at the cop's head. The cop points his gun at Hubert's head. Saeed is just watching this happen because he's powerless in the situation, and the film cuts to black. So so it cuts to black, but not right before you see two gun flashes. And here, two gunshots. Yes, sorry, I missed that. Yes. And that is just, you know, you don't see it. If it cuts to black, you know, before then, it, it you know, it leaves a little more to the imagination, you know, the movie ends you you are left to sit and think and just you know look back on you know the two hours you just spent watching but there's always that hope that you know that schrodinger's cat where like if you don't open the box you don't know whether the cat's alive or dead you know you don't see it you don't hear the gunshot you don't know they don't let you get off that easy real quick it was only a it was only a single gunshot not two gunshots just one are you sure Yes. Did you like? Are you like going back to look? Because like I could have sworn it was yes. two distinct flashes. Nope. One. All right. Well, there goes my point. That yeah. Still, you know, leaves a lot up to the imagination. But you know, there was some culminating climax. Um, and boy, I did not see it coming from a mile away. Uh, not even close. I couldn't see it from two feet away. That's how you do a twist. Yeah, yeah. In in direct contrast to Big Fan. Um so really the 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 two situations we're presented with is the cop kills Hubert, doubling down on his murder spree at this point. Um which will ultimately just add Hubert to a, a big old list of names of people who got killed during these riots at the hands of police, probably unneeded uh, deaths at the hands of the police, unwarranted, um, leaving really the uh, big question of what good, what, what, what came about of all of these guys' conversations and efforts when Saeed will be the only one left standing. Mm-hmm. Um, should he be left standing? Or Hubert kills the cop. And succumbs to all the pressures that, that Vince had been touting throughout the entire film. And not even necessarily that I would disagree with, with, with Hubert's actions here. Uh, um, because we, as a, as a human being, um, are, are, are emotional. And I don't think mm-hmm. seeing... I think seeing your friend be murdered is a pretty decent reason to act in rage. Um, not, again, not saying you know blind killing is wrong but it's certainly the more <laughs> readily defensible position of the two um i don't know which uh which do you think is the more likely outcome for our our boys here yeah it it's really now knowing that it wasn't the twin gunshots you know having to to look back and and think how i would feel about which outcome it would be i am probably more torn than I should be about which I would prefer. On one hand, you know, Hubert, you know, such a tremendous character, him, you know, having to surrender his morals in the name of saving, you know, his friend, getting justice for a friend that was killed, you know, everything that Vince was fighting about the entire film. It's, it's hard to see someone, you know, give up on their moral standing, but at the same time, the alternative is him, dying so obviously like i have to to hope that 
Hubert was the one to to pull the trigger. I I can't say you know I'd I'd really have to go back and watch it again and and really dig in to see if no because I I support you know the the reasoning of changing your your morals to to support that level of justice and oh god it's just it's the way I entered this movie with just being you know like oh god no this is going to be a tough watch like this is going to be a hard two hours to get through and just finishing it and it's just like I I need to watch more like I need to know more like I want more of this you need at least two more minutes I know two more minutes of movie Yeah, uh, man. It's, Any final thought? It, uh, it's my. I'll, I'll I'll leave my my thoughts with this film. I think does a phenomenal job of giving you a complete and thorough backdrop for what a lot of these problems look like, coming from three very different perspectives. You know, Hubert is uh, a former service member. He was in the Navy. Um, he's a small business owner. He runs a gym that was collateral damage in the riots by getting burned down. He's, he's clearly a person trying to do right by himself and trying not to cause trouble within society, but also understanding that he has to get by. He has to live. That's why he sells drugs. That's a minor part of the film. It's clearly not something he's like raring to do but that he does because he has to support himself and he has to do with he has to do what he 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 can just to just to make it in the in 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 the part of the world and circumstances he's been dealt um it it, it offers great examples of storytelling and great nuance into the fact that these are these are just fucking people they're they're complicated Mm -hmm. people but like these are just fucking people you know, these are just dudes trying to eat hot dogs on the roof, man. Like th- these are just guys that have been thrust into these situations being no better or worse equipped to handle it than anybody else. And it yeah. leads to a lot of irrational action and a lot of constant doubt and thought and worry and concern and second guessing and anger and sadness because these are just people who didn't ask to have their friend killed by the police. Again, warranted or not, doesn't particularly matter, but still have to grapple with that in some kind of way. And you get to kind of experience, you get to experience it with them. And it's a very interesting insight into that. Um, I love it. Uh, Since I'm going already, I'll give my uh, rating first. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a a four and a half. There, that's where I settle in. Oh man, this film, you know, the cinematography we talked about is A++. Um we didn't talk about it, but the the sound, the music choices was beautiful, uh very fitting for the time, something I really enjoyed and it, it it stuck out to me. Um the symbolism throughout the film was, you know, uh, fantastic, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful all the way through for all three of those. Um it's just a powerful bond that builds between these three friends that just struggle how to cope with, you know, the death of a friend caused by, you know, the pr- oppression and injustices of their society. Um, you know, we've watched three straight films now that lean heavily on symbolism. Uh, this is by far the best of all of them, you know, self-contained, easy to understand, beautifully written story, beautiful film all around. Uh, I give this a four out of four point five out of five. Excuse me. All right, cool, cool, cool. We're all in the we're in the same boat here. Uh, so for next week's y- film, did you give it a four point five too? Yes, sir. Nice. Yes, I did. Uh, nice. Are we? Am, am I? Am I picking a number again for us to determine your next movie? Uh, not this week. I I have one that I want to watch. Uh, and so I'm just gonna pick it. Uh, I'm gonna Let's go hear with it. Ross Nixon. Oh, all right. Okay. I'm game. Feels very apt after the uh, the Trump Axios interview. Loving it. Uh, all right. My film choice this week, I wrote it down. Oh, it's uh, eight and a half. Federico Fellini's eight and a half. So we have... I haven't seen it. 
Frost, Nixon, and eight and a half. Oh, you're going to hate it. I can't wait. Um, oh, jeez. Why do you pick these movies? Ugh. Because this is a classic. Of course I do. Yeah, Why yeah. else would I do it? This is, and this isn't even like a, like a Josh classic. This is like it won two Oscars like and was nominated for a bunch at a time when foreign films didn't really get a lot of Oscar nominations. This is a classic movie. Um, anyway. Josh, I was elected to lead, not to read. All timeline. That's Come just on. an all timer line. That's Trump personified. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so we got we got Frost Nixon for Corwin. We got eight and a half for me. The foreign film fest continues next week. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at Juicing the numbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.